Hello and welcome to Rural Business Uncovered, brought to you by the CLA, where each week we discuss matters affecting the rural sector. The Country Land and Business Association are the only organisation dedicated to protecting and defending the rights of landowners and rural businesses. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Responsible capitalism, a concept that is increasingly coming to the fore and one that is close to the heart of Julian Richer, founder and managing director of Richer Sounds. But what is responsible capitalism? Today, we hear from Julian on this idea and how it prompted a scheme called the Good Business Charter to be launched, which Julian spearheads. We're also joined by Jenny Herrera, Chief Executive of the Good Business Foundation, the charity behind the charter, who will provide details on the workings of the scheme and why businesses should gain accreditation. As we grow, we're really hopeful that within our membership, we can really pull skills together, really. CLA member and Good Business Charter member Johnny Wake of the Courting Hall Estate in Northamptonshire and his colleague Philippa Fitzgerald also join us to share their experience of the scheme so far and the great benefits it brings. But also to say, hey, we're doing this and immediately saw that there was a potential benefit from that because as Julian said earlier, it's all about people. Well, Julian, if I can come to you first, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much for for joining us. Um, Perhaps you can start by telling us about your background and explaining what is meant by responsible capitalism. Uh Thank you for the kind introduction. Thank you, for Sarah Hendry, for um, um, inviting me and being so supportive of the work we're doing. But I want to talk a bit about my business background first. Then, as you suggested, I want to talk about the benefits of what we call responsible capitalism, because I believe not only is it great for society in general terms, not only is it great for uh, consumers, uh, not only is it great for workers, I think it's got particular relevance for businesses. The CLA has such a cross-section of businesses and organisations involved, I think there's real benefit for hopefully a lot of people who kindly dialed in today. So if I start off then, I'm a shopkeeper, I opened my first shop when I was 19. I'm in a ferociously competitive part of retail selling consumer electronics, uh, and the business has stood the test of time. I was 62 uh, two weeks ago. So I've been running my uh, uh, little business, which isn't quite so little now. We have 52 stores and 200 million turnover. And we're really very profitable in really difficult times. And we've, like businesses that are tuning in today, we've survived recessions. We've had bank foreclosures. We've had cash flow problems. We had a, an explosion which blew up our IT department. And unfortunately, our backup IT department was in the same building. So that wasn't very clever. We survived that. And we, now we've survived the onslaught of the internet, which is destroying Many retailers, we've seen a lot of our biggest competitors go to the wall. I'm talking about Maplins, Comet, Best Buy, uh, those old enough will remember a company called Lasky's. And we've survived the test of time. Now, uh, I accept that I've been lucky, um, I'm blessed, uh, and I've got a fantastic team around me. But I really think also we've made some good decisions. I've learned a, a huge amount in those 40-odd years in business. And the overriding thing I've learned is that it's all about the people. And what I mean by that is we and you, indeed, and people listening will observe Two completely different outputs from people, depending on how they treat them. 
And I'd like to say that about 10 times. It's probably the most important thing I'm going to say today, but actually I've got a few important things I want to say. So I will move on. I'll tell you how this came about. I started the business at 19. I was nearly bust at 21, insolvent. And I went to a mate's father to lend me some money. He told me to buzz off and said we didn't have a chance. I remember his words. He said, throw in the towel, son, you've had it. And I didn't take no for an answer. And I limped on and uh, I met a fantastic guy who gave me some accounting advice. And then I read a book when I was 23 in 1982 called in Search of Excellence by two American academics. One's called Tom Peters and the other Rob Waterman. And they analyzed the most successful companies in the States. And what they discovered, the only commonality between these widely different businesses, which is relevant today because we have a widely different group of businesses hopefully listening in, the only commonality was the way they treated uh, their customers, their staff, which was very well. And I was sort of blown away by this. It doesn't sound complicated, but it was a real eureka moment for me. And I took a, a microscope and a knife to our little business and boy, what a difference did it make? I mean, uh, up to that point, I used to joke to my friends that I wanted to be rich and unknown because I believe that, you know, uh, fame is a curse. And we would joke that I'd only achieved the latter at that point. You know, I, I was unknown, but I, I wasn't rich either. Uh, and from that moment, that was a turning point in the organization. We started seeing the profits grow. Very early on, I saw the real benefits in treating both particularly staff, but also customers well. And I, I kept my head down and carried on with that learning that valuable lesson and recommend the book to anybody. And then I met a guy called Archie Norman, who'd moved to Yorkshire to run a company called Asda, uh, which, of course, most of you will be familiar with. Some of you will even supply. And he asked me to come and help him. I had a little bit of press for my business, being a bit eccentric. We used to have a, a Rolls Royce we gave to the store, which gave the best customer service for the month. And we had a bit of publicity for this. Anyway, he'd heard about it and asked me to come and help him. And the interesting thing was that the stuff I did in our little business uh, worked really well at Asda as well, with a completely different workforce, 70,000 mostly women sitting on, on checkouts all day, really tough job they did. They still do. A lot of the stuff worked. He had to adapt some of the things we did because I, I give a birthday card signed by me to every colleague, colleagues the name we for our employees. And uh, indeed, Asda call their staff colleagues as well now after my visits. And uh, he can't sign a birthday card for 70,000 people. But a lot of the stuff he did adapt very successfully. Now, after that, I thought, actually, this is worth shouting about. There's a story here that actually by getting the best out of people is a win-win for everybody. And I wrote a book called The Richer Way, which is a bit of a, still is a bit of a cult book. The reason it's, um, 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 I was sort of blown away by the success of it really, because it sold really well in spite of having no publicity, because I wouldn't do any press signings or, or, or PR. I just kept my head down. Uh, and um, it's packed full of, of, of good ideas. The, the important thing about the book is not only that it's packed full of useful ideas for business managers, but also it demonstrates the fantastic financial returns to those businesses. So now we're, we're sticking our toe in the water of responsible capitalism. What we're saying here is that by investing in people really well and thinking about their needs, and I haven't got time to tell you the contents of the book, it's not expensive. And I, of course, I recommend you, you, you know, uh, people listening uh, buy it if they've got time to read it. But it's packed full of good ideas, but it demonstrates the payback. I will talk about some of the paybacks to um, treating people well. The first one is that our recruiting and training bills are much reduced. That's an obvious one. The second one is that our people give much better service because they're treated well. And a great example I can give you is that uh, the Witch Consumers Association members every year vote on the best retailer in the land. And we've won that five years out the last 10. And the other five years, we were pretty near the top. Anyway, so if I'd held a gun to my people's heads and they were unhappy, they obviously wouldn't want to be cheerful and positive and give great service. So a wonderful benefit there that, of course, that recognition by which has given us loads of business on the back of it. And another great example I can give you is that most businesses have what they call shrinkage or theft. And, and in retail, it's pretty big. It's between 1% and 2% of their turnover. 
Now, our shrinkage is infinitesimally small, uh, way under 0.1 of a percent, actually. Now, we provide holiday homes for our colleagues. We have 12 of them at the moment. Uh, more than 70% of the entire workforce use at least one holiday home per year. So it's not just a, you know, a home for the directors playing golf in Marbella. It really is a widely used benefit. The savings we have from shrinkage alone pay for the cost of the homes many times over. And when I bought the first home, the bank manager said he would lend me the 40 grand I wanted for a mortgage. He said, well, you don't need to do this. And I said, that's exactly why I'm doing it. He just didn't get it. So just some real great financial, you know, this is not just, you know, lovey-dovey stuff, you know, feel good hugging. This is real. It's doing the right thing. I sleep better at night. It is the right thing to do, but there's real benefits to the business. So anyway, I wrote the book. It sold really well. It sold sort of 50,000 copies without any publicity. And then Penguin came along and wanted to sell it all around the world, which they do now, although I make less money because I get much less going through a publisher, but it's still available. So then I, I went back to the biz and carried on building it. I started to get annoyed about when I would read about bad bosses, these monsters out there. And I thought, first of all, they're giving us all a bad name. And there are a lot of people working hard, a lot of your members working hard, trying to make an honest buck. And this reflected badly on all of us. Okay. Secondly, I thought they were wrong. I thought, actually, it would all come to a bad ending. And I've been proved right on that without mentioning any names. And thirdly, they would have a short-term cost advantage by paying their staff much less than we did. Okay. They, they might make more money in the short term, which they thought was very clever. But again, as we say in Yorkshire, the truth will out. And I got annoyed about this. And I started reading about capitalism. And I'm not an academic, but I can read. And I read a few books about it. And, and something was niggling at me. I just thought, you know, capitalism is responsible for a lot of abuse and exploitation, horrendous through history and up to the present day. But, but again, it's, it's the, the system that stood the test of time that works. And it provides the goods and services we all love and need. I don't know if you remember Adam Smith said 250 years ago, he said, it's not the benevolence of the brewer, the butcher, the baker that gets them up in the morning. It's their own regard for their self-interest. So I get that. We're doing it for entrepreneurs, business people do it to make money. And that's, that's fine. And they're providing a service we need. But I maintain that they have an obligation to society for the infrastructure they use on a, on a daily basis, be it the roads or the police to protect their property or the schools to teach their you know, uh, staff to read and write so they can uh, eventually be fit for work and, and for hospitals that cure people when they get sick. So we all, I think business have a debt society and only on that basis uh, is it fair to expect to be accepted and tolerated. And I think that's the balance here that I'm trying to go for. The, the way I describe this is, is responsible capitalism. So in other words, I think capitalism is, is, is based on greed and, and has all these negative connotations. And I think we should be it's important that, that responsible business people, like hopefully the great majority of your members, would want to stand up and say, yeah, we, we agree with that. Uh, we, we're trying to make an honest, but we think it's right to treat people and customers well. And I would hope they'd want to identify with the work we're doing. And we're going to talk more about that. So I'm just trying to give you a really quick background to my approach to capitalism. Capitalism, of course, got a bad rep, bad history, but at the same time, we need it. So the only way to make it acceptable is to uh, do it responsibly. So what's to be done? There are three things, I think. I think the government has to do a lot more, has to be much tougher on businesses. I'm not into football, but I'm fully aware that if there weren't rules on the football pitch, after 30 seconds, there'd be complete anarchy. And I think too many people are getting away with it. I haven't got time now to go into it, but there's plenty of uh, work done on the subject. There's definitely improvements need to be made to our tax system to simplify it, to put more resource into it, and to not just pick on the good guys to get more tax out of out of us, you know, we should go after the huge tax gap in the country, et cetera, et cetera. So the government's got its work to do. I think businesses can do more. And, and the point here is not me telling them off 
like a school teacher. The point is is me recommending they they follow my experiences. You know, read in search of excellence, read the richer way, or or don't, but just try it. Okay, so I believe by being a responsible capitalist, responsible entrepreneur responsible business will actually reap dividends. I think the public have to do their bit as well. And this is the this is where we start moving into the good business charter. So the public wants to spend their money with responsible businesses. And if you look at Christian A, they did a survey, 85% of the public said they want to spend their money with businesses who pay their tax. But the problem is they don't know who they are because the bad guys don't say, hi, don't come and shop with us, we're awful. Of course they don't. So what the public need badly is a signpost, okay? They badly need this, a signpost direct uh, the public who don't know um, um, to these good businesses. And that's where we come in with a good business charter. So the good business charter is an accreditation scheme and it's an absolute win-win. And I, of course, hope that uh, listeners will get behind it. I also want them to spread the word, not just sign up. And we'll talk maybe more about that if we have time. But we, we set this scheme up from the beginning with the CBI and with the TUC. So they've been involved in its development right from day one. And it's been a joy to see them working together so well. And we think we've got a tremendous product here. We think there are other schemes out there. I'll tell you why we think our scheme is so good. First of all, we think uh, it's particularly beneficial, by the way, we think for businesses. So the signpost is there to help the public. What it does is directs the public to your doors for businesses listening in. That's the huge benefit of it. Uh, and that's what I really wanted to stress today. This is not a pitch. I'm not trying to sell anything. It's actually cost me a great deal of money to launch it. But I really think it's a no-brainer. It's a win-win for businesses. I think it's got two other benefits as well, which I will briefly mention. First of all, it gives a pat on the back, recognition, in other words, to all of us who are trying hard, working hard, to, to do the right thing. And I think that's nice to have because whenever we pick up a newspaper, they're criticizing bosses generally. So number one, recognition. Number two is that if we can move the dial on business behavior in the country across thousands of businesses, I think our society will be better. But the biggest benefit is to help the public decide where to spend their money and the businesses are going to receive uh, that cash. That's the most exciting thing for me. And I have a dream that in 10 years time, um, you know, half the high street be busy and they'll be the ones sporting the Good Business Charter logos. So in their windows, uh, on their vans, on their letterheads, heads, and of course, on their website and every opportunity. So that's, you know, that's the really exciting benefit for businesses. Obviously, it's early days. We launched it in the worst time in history, 1st of February last year, just before COVID. In spite of that, we've seen tremendous interest, particularly, you know, in this new year since January. It's literally tremendous across the board. Small organizations with five employees, bigger organizations with 50,000. I mean, really, really exciting to see. And also we're open to charities because it's important that charities are well run. So we've had Oxfam sign up uh, and Amnesty and Trust or Trust, etc. So lots of exciting, you know, it's, it has started. The train has left the station, but we want to build on that. There are other schemes out there. I'll just finish off by saying a couple of things why we think ours is better, which, of course, you'd expect me to say. We applaud all schemes, of course. The first reason we think... Ours is good. It's got real integrity because we have 10 components. We will not let organizations sign up unless they tick all 10 boxes. Now, the level of adherence varies. If you've got five employees, it's different to 50,000 in terms of the detail we go into and what we want you to sign up to. We think it's very important for the public to know that if they see a good business charter logo, that it really means something because other schemes have got sort of, you know, 50% mate and you're in, you know, we'll get you under the wire. We said, no, 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 we want to have the integrity. Number two is it's really quick to join. Some schemes take months of red tape and bureaucracy and we're all too busy. Uh, ours is less than an hour. If you can tick those boxes, you know, you can do it in under an hour, all online. If you need any help or advice, we're there to help you. And thirdly, uh, it's really cheap because I'm funny at all. So no sign-up charge. The first year is free. 
And after that, we're talking about less than a pound per colleague per year, per employee per year. In the immortal words of Gerald Ratner, if any of you are old enough to remember him, uh, the jeweler, that's substantially less than the price of a prawn sandwich, and it will last for a whole year. So we think that has got to be a no-brainer for the benefit it will give you. I can give you an example. One small business signed up recently. They did a little press release. They had four really positive press articles. They couldn't believe the benefit they got from it. So it's not just about signing up. It is about spreading the word. This is very much a numbers game. You know, we've got hundreds of members now. I want thousands. I'm greedy. I want tens of thousands. And then the more the public are aware, and of course, we're going to be investing in social media and PR and advertising uh, to help drive those customers to your door. So I think that's, uh, you know, considering that was one sentence, hopefully I've covered plenty there. We've got a really good panel going to speak. I'm going to disappear. I'm actually going to listen in from the sidelines because I want to give other people a chance to speak. I speak, as you can imagine, much too much. So we've got a member already. We've got Johnny and Philippa are going to be talking. We've got the CEO uh, of Goodwin's Charter, the amazing uh, Jenny. So they're going to please um, come back. Jenny, if you've got questions on what I've said uh, and hear from people that are actually doing it and being involved. And I just thank you for listening. Thank you for your time. And I beg you, please, I beg sounds like I'm desperate. I'm not desperate. I want you to do this because you want to do it. But please, it really is a win-win. Please sign up and please spread the word. I really think this is a good thing. And thank you very much again for listening to me. Thank you. Well, thank you, Julian. You've covered an awful lot of ground there. And what I find really interesting about your approach to responsible capitalism is it's not necessarily about philanthropic work being made possible by business success. It's about that complete integration of social and ethical principles and investing in people, as you mentioned there, into the running of the business, which then generates more business success. We're going to hear a lot more about this and the charter in the rest of this podcast. But Julian, thank you ever so much for for opening and kicking us off so brilliantly there. You're very welcome. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. The Good Business Charter is a scheme which any business can sign up to to demonstrate to the public their values and approach to responsible capitalism. The scheme is free for the first year with nominal charges thereafter. Registration takes less than an hour to complete and once accredited, you can display the Good Business Charter logo which acts as an essential signpost to your customers, clients and to the public who share the same values. Visit www.goodbusinesscharter.com to get started.
Jenny Herrera is the chief executive of the Good Business Foundation, the charity behind the charter. Um, now, Julian has mentioned how the, the charter came about and when, why was it established. And I understand, Jenny, it covers 10 key points, 10 principles. Can you take us through these in a bit more detail? That's right. I'd love to. Thanks for having me. So the first five cover the employees, obviously a, a really key area. So we have a requirement to pay the real living wage as set by the Living Wage Foundation. There's a component around fairer hours and contracts for those that do use zero or minimal hours contracts. We're not banning them per se, but there are some rules that we set out around what we would expect if you are using them. There's a component around employee well-being, making sure that employees have the access that they need to uh, uh, to support for their physical and mental health and making sure there's no unreasonable penalties for legitimate sickness. Employee representation, that's a key one, that employees really have a voice and that there is a way to get that up to the senior management or board level. And diversity inclusion very much been in the spotlight, hasn't that, over the last year or so. Just ensuring that everyone can bring themselves to work and feel included. So the first five are around employees, but then we widen it. And like some regional charters, which are very much just about employment, we then cover environmental responsibility, the importance of paying your fair tax, your commitment to customers, which usually most businesses are pretty good at. But are you getting feedback from your customers? Are you acting on any complaints that are coming in? Ethical sourcing. What about where you're purchasing from? Making sure that you are following the standards set out by the ETI, the Ethical Trading Initiative, and then prompt payment to suppliers. We ask you to sign up to the government's prompt payment code. And why would you say that, that CLA members should be interested in the Good Business Charter? What are the business benefits? We would see that this is really for all types of businesses, all sectors and all sizes. And we've worked really hard to make it fit for all different sizes. So we say, well, the CLA members should be just as interested as any other group of organisations, because actually this is about showing potential employees, potential customers, potential visitors to your sites that you care about responsible business behaviour. And we really believe that this is a clear way. And as we gain more and more members, the public will hopefully start to look out for our brand, start to look out who is sporting the GBC logo. And because actually more and more people are caring about responsible business. And there's just a real groundswell, as many people talk about, build back better. And so the CLA members here have an opportunity to really lead the way on this and show that this is as much for them as it is for any other type of industry. And should you discuss you know, with a business that's considering joining the GBC and, and possibly that they're already meeting um, the majority of those 10 points, but possibly might be struggling with a couple of them, not quite ready as a business to, to take on board all those points fully. How do you work with those businesses? So the way we've set it up is very much if you are starting that journey, really, we, we very much see all this area of responsible business as a journey. And when we have our questions, especially for those that have got over 50 employees, uh, I will briefly mention that we have a streamlined process for those with 50 employees or under. But for those that have more, we ask, well, are you doing this now? Have you got objectives for your environment, for example? Uh, Are you doing an, uh, an employee survey every couple of years? And if you say no, we say, well, will you commit to do it? And you're able to commit and also be part of that accreditation. And then we just say, well, these are the kind of ideas. We are a accreditation scheme. So our 
process really is to point you to other organisations that might be able to help you in a particular area. As we grow, we're really hopeful that within our membership, we can really pull skills together, really. And, and even now I'm seeing someone come to me and say, what about the CEO pay ratio? Ah, well, let me put you in touch with one of our members who and how they dealt with this. So I think that as we grow, that is really going to become more and more of a feature. But what, what we really want is if you think, oh, I'm not sure if I meet this or if I can, then get in touch with me. We really want to be able to walk alongside you in this journey. So you're open to, to having those conversations because many CLA members, or, you know, they employ seasonal workers. How does this interact with the real living wage part of the accreditation? Could that potentially be um, a stumbling block for, the, from, for those businesses from joining? We really hope it won't be a stumbling block. We do feel strongly about people being paid a wage that they can live on. And I would say that that includes seasonal workers. We would expect them to be paid the real living wage for the hours they work. What we would say, however, is that the fairer hours element, the, the zero hours and minimal hours part, falls outside of the scope because we see this as a fixed term contract where people are coming to, to work for a fruit picking season or whatever it might be. So that falls outside of the scope. But we would be saying that, that they need to be paid a decent wage for the work that they're doing. And what are the um, initial checks and ongoing monitoring and auditing that's a part of, of, of the charter accreditation? So we are set up as a very small organisation rather than a big sort of going in and auditing every aspect. So it is, as Julie mentioned, it's a straightforward self-certification. The onus is on you completing it truthfully and then promoting it. And this is the key thing really for us when it comes to monitoring. Of course, we do some initial checks when you do your application on Companies House, Charity Commission of Your Charity, all those aspects. But we can't really do a full audit to ensure that you do not have a zero hours contract hiding somewhere. Or what are you really doing in terms of seeing your customer feedback? Because people are just not going to share that with us. So what the way we're working is that we are expecting you to promote it. That means promote it internally so your staff know that you are a good business charter accredited. Put it on your website, get it out on social media. And we really are putting a, quite a focus on whistleblowing so if you are an employee and you think actually this just isn't true then we want to hear from you likewise customers suppliers if you think that one of our members isn't really fulfilling what the good business charter is all about we want to hear and then that's where we, it would kick start much more of a, an exploration with that company to find out what's going on in that particular area I see. Uh, what are the costs to join and is it different depending on the size of the business and the number of employees uh, that you have there is a difference. As Julian said, we want to make it super accessible. We don't want cost to become a barrier. So for small, well, it's free for the first year. That's the first thing to say. So absolutely no cost when you sign up in the first year. After that, if you are 50 employees or less, it's a flat fee of £25 a year. But for others, it's just £1 per full-time equivalent employee. So if you've got 80 employees, it will be £80 a year. If you've got 180 employees, £180 a year. But that will be capped at £2,500 a year. So really accessible uh, because we don't, just don't want that to be a barrier. We want people to, to join. And, and, um, and that's one of the reasons we didn't kind of expect people to join the Ethical Trade Initiative as a member because that would just add extra cost. And once you're part of the scheme, is there any ongoing support and advice um, being offered to members? 
So we really want to get alongside people, particularly in helping us spread the word because that's good for you and obviously it's good for us. So we really want to help you get blogs out. We like to hear case studies that we can put on our own website social media press releases all that kind of stuff i also send out monthly mail shots but as i said earlier i think as we as we grow we want to be able to get more opportunities i'd love to see that i'll start doing some webinars for our members where we tackle a particular issue uh, perhaps it's the diversity piece and and what about disability what about ethnicity and and get people together so there's there feels like there's a lot more potential the other thing we would say is some people might look at our chart and think hmm, well i i don't think they've done this or maybe they've missed that what we would say is join us and then from within we want to be able to hear from our members and develop it and strengthen it as time goes on so you see the charter potentially as evolving as 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 new things get thought about and, and, and possibly you want to strengthen the brand even even more but perhaps you could share with us you know the, the types of businesses that are joining and and why in particular should rural businesses sign up so we have a real range. We launched with some big names like Deloitte and Capita, Brompton Bicycles as well. Um, in the middle of last year, the TSB joined us and they've really shown how to how they can really get the benefit of promoting it and let everyone know about it. But as Julian mentioned, charities, Oxfam, Amnesty, Trussell Trust, and recently York University became our first university to sign up. But what's been brilliant right from the beginning is loads of small businesses of all different types and sectors joining us as well and sole traders saying it's brilliant that we can join as a sole trader because often things are closed to us for rural businesses i think we would say well, well why would you be different why shouldn't you and as johnny was saying that the fact that you have been many organizations been around for so many years you've probably been doing this for for decades and actually this is just a chance to be recognized for that which we think is a great opportunity to lead the way and finally, what's the, your main piece of advice uh, that you would give someone applying and considering applying to become accredited? My main piece of advice would be go for it, embrace the journey and, and then spread the word because the more members we get, the more valuable it will come to you as a member. But don't think, oh, yeah, sounds nice. I'll come and look at it in a few months. Just take a look now because you may find you meet them all and you can sign up and be part of this of this important movement, really, to champion responsible business behaviour. Well, that's brilliant. Uh, Jenny Herrera, thank you very much uh, for joining us. Thank you for having me. Well, thank you, Jenny. Uh, let's move on now to consider why rural businesses and in particular landowners should consider signing up to the Good Business Charter. And I'd like to bring Johnny and Philippa in. And uh, now, as I mentioned at the beginning, Johnny Wake of the Courtine Hall Estate in Northamptonshire is a member of uh, the CLA uh, and the Good Business Charter. We also joined by Philippa Fitzgerald of the Office and Property Manager uh, at the estate. Thank you both for joining us. Johnny, if I can start with you, tell us a bit about the estate, its history, and background. Hi Alan, thanks for having us. So yeah, we're a farming estate in South Northamptonshire. We have the blessing and the curse of farming on the urban fringe of the town of Northampton with the M1 going through us. We're arable and poultry farmers, um, but like a lot of other estates, we've diversified our interests into property, quite a lot of renewable energy and various other bits and bobs. And how did you come to find out about the Good Business Charter? So the first time I came across it was in the CLA's Land and Business magazine and read an article by the DG Sarah Hendry. And it resonated with me straight away, I guess, for two reasons. One is because well, I read all the 10 points and I thought, hang on, we're doing this already. Uh, but I really see the benefit of shouting about it. It allowed us to formalize it, but also to say, hey, we're doing this. And I immediately saw that there was a potential benefit from that 
Because as Julian said earlier, it's all about people. And if we can shout about what we're doing, then it enables us to attract great people to work with us as part of our team and also to work with other companies who are hopefully going to queue up to work with us because we are doing things like being really good payers. The other reason was Julian himself made a little bit of brown nosing. I've been going to Richard Sands since I was 19 and building up bits and bobs from there. And uh, it's just, it was very noticeable right from the start, just how different the atmosphere is in one of his stores. You've got people who really clearly enjoy working there and are passionate about it. And I didn't understand at the time why it was so different. But with time, I followed his career and have understood that better. So the fact it had his backing piqued my interest. And perhaps you can share some examples with us. What other things have you done to try and foster that sort of culture within your working environment and the, and the colleagues that you work with? Well, I was really lucky I inherited that environment, which was already pretty people focused. Uh, when I took over, I mean, I'm a doctor by background. I didn't mean to take over the running of the estate on a day-to-day basis. It happened by accident. And um, we already had a culture which really valued the people who were part of the team and also our key contractors. And so it was really just a question of, of building on that. And I think if you, you – know, I know it's going to sound like rocket science. It's going to sound like I'm preaching, but it's in many ways, it's all obvious stuff. If you treat people really well, they're going to want to work with you really well too. And it's just treating people as you wish to be treated. And clearly, when you first heard about the charter, you identified with a lot of the objectives. And and as you said at the beginning, you were doing a lot of things anyway. So what do you want to get out of it? So so by being clearly a member and and being accredited, what benefits does that bring on top of what you're doing already? So I think there's the pat on the back element that Julian mentioned, which uh, is, is nice. But in terms of hard wins for us, people really, really do make our business go. And I think in order to attract good team members, it shows very clearly what we're doing and holds us to account that we are a good business um, to work for and with. We don't really sell to consumers. So I think there'll be other people listening to this podcast who is really, really important for what, what Julian mentioned about shouting to consumers as to why they should buy from you. But for us, the companies that we work with are absolutely crucial. And we already have companies that have long association with us, give us much better response times, better prices, Because, for example, we're really good payers and we've always had a long history of being really prompt payers and doing it almost aggressively. And they really like that. And that works really well for us. So it's a win-win situation. Yeah, And Philippa, if I can bring you in here, how did you go about getting accredited? What's the process and, and, and did you find it an easy one? So the first port of call for me was to research on the Good Business Charter website what the 10 components were and whether we as a business could commit to those 10. So it was really easy to look at on the website itself. The 10 components are quite easily laid out, as are the questions that you're that you're going to be asked when you come to the actual self-accreditation process. So I started just to put together some preparation, checked with various members of the team and the business as to whether these were things that we could commit to. And I think as a business, as Johnny said, we generally considered that we did follow all the practices more or less. Uh, But when you have to commit to something, it forces you to, to really think about that in more depth and consider whether we can commit to these and prove that we commit to these promises. The process itself, as I mentioned, is self-certification. So the website runs through the questions for each component. But what's great about it is that it's not intimidating. If you don't feel that you can commit something at that precise moment, then you promise to do so after a certain time period. If you're not sure whether a component fits within your business or whether you're just unsure as to how to implement that component, then Good Business Charter invites you to 
informally drop them a line to discuss that. The process doesn't feel like a test. It's, it's much more collaborative. And I felt as we were going through it that the Good Business Charter genuinely wants that it's achievable to all kinds of businesses, no matter size or industry. So there's a a degree of flexibility in there. And and did you find that encouraging? Because you could have a conversation and talk through some policies and and how and explore ways in which you could formalise certain things, practices that you were doing, but possibly haven't looked at into the same level of depth. Was that engagement and dialogue with, with the Charter and the Foundation really, really helpful? Oh, absolutely. And it was straight to Jenny as well. There, you know, we were passed on to Jenny at a very early stage. And you're just invited to, to talk through it. And if you're not quite sure whether you're committing to something already or not, then, you know, it's a very open conversation. Nobody's trying to trick you, you know, to make you sign up to something that, that you're going to, to then realise that you can't do. So it was, it was achievable. It was an easy process. It was very friendly. And uh, were there any bits which you found challenging or, or things that you hadn't thought about, so possibly one of, one, one of the components that, that made you think a bit, uh, bit more about what you're doing? So we had to put an environmental strategy into place, which was something that we hadn't formalised previously. Also, we scratched the surface of a number of things, such as um, employee representation and well-being. We're always talking about that kind of thing in our monthly meetings, but actually then saying, right, we now need to make some firm decisions about how we're going to implement these feedback sessions with our employees and how we're going to then take it up to most senior levels and actually get those suggestions out there in the open. It, it just it, it just really made us think about the whole process. Did you come across any cynicism amongst your colleagues and, and any sort of resistance to some of the changes you're trying to introduce? Not really. I mean, ultimately, we we had to consult with various members of the team. So finance team, obviously, for the financial elements, our land agent. We have an external HR consultancy that we use. So we asked them to check through things like our contracts to make sure that we were adhering to everything from an HR point of view. But ultimately, Ultimately, going back to what Julian and Johnny have both said, it's um, it's about the people. So we, it's important for us was to get the whole business and for each member of of the team here to buy in to what we were trying to do, buy into the objective, buy into how we envisaged it looking. And if you can do that, then you're practically there anyway. And Johnny, securing that buy-in clearly was, is a very important step. And have you felt some of the benefits already by, by being accredited, by being able to to show that label and being proud of that charter? Internally, yes, because of the things that Philip has spoke of. It's, it's meant that we've changed processes in here. It's, it's, it's given us a healthy nudge uh, to just get things exactly where we want them to be. Externally, it's too early. We've literally just had our accreditation come through. So now I can't answer that question yet, but I'm confident that we will see benefits of it in time. And what would you say is the biggest lesson that you've learned through the process? In some ways, it's been really simple, but in others, it's actually been a much bigger. We, we underestimated being very open as to how easy it would be getting on board. We thought, well, we're doing this already. It'll be easy peasy. And in some ways it was, 
but there was actually more work and more time taken than we anticipated to do it. But what I would say is that that was all actually very healthy work. That those have been very healthy nudges that it's given us and things we probably should have got around to doing anyway. There'll be a lot of listeners, CLA members, uh, tuning into this podcast. Um, what's your message to them? Why should landowners in particular be interested in, in signing up to the Good Business Charter? Well, I think obviously all, I'd support all businesses to sign up, but why landowners in particular? Well, I'd say our industry, we are more long-term than any other industry I can think of. A lot of us have been here for a very long time. and As a business, I can afford to think in terms of 50, 100, or even longer amounts of years. I don't know another industry that can work that way. And signing up to the business charter is all about long-termism. You're not going to make a quick buck by doing it. We all know that. But if you want to garner yourself a, a, an excellent reputation, then that is going to give you a long-term return. And we're a long-term industry, so I think it fits very well. And I think that's a great message to, to wrap up the podcast on. C- can I thank all of our guests, Julian Richer, Jenny Herrera, Johnny Wick and Philippa Fitzgerald. Uh, don't forget, if you want more information about the Charter and how to sign up, head to their website, goodbusinesscharter.com. Well, thank you all for your input and bye for now. If you're not a member of the CLA, you can join today. More information can be found on our website, www.cla.org.uk. Thank you for listening, and I hope you can join us again soon. You've been listening to the Rural Business Uncovered podcast, the CLA's weekly podcast released every Friday. You can find all our episodes wherever you get your podcasts or just search Rural Business Uncovered on your chosen podcast provider. Remember to hit subscribe or follow to make sure you don't miss an episode. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.